This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GEEKY at checkout. A better web starts with your website. The Incomparable, number 201. July 2014. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We are uh, convening another edition of our old movie club. And because this episode, by my reckoning, is going to be released roughly on July the 4th of 2014, I have to explain to our non-U.S. listeners, July the 4th, a very important holiday in the United States. It is Independence Day. Uh, and as a result of that incredible confluence, Old Movie Club is has made a, a, a rash and ill-informed decision to discuss <laughs> two films, 1776, a 1972 musical, and Yankee Doodle Dandy, a 1942 <laughs> American biographical musical. So it's patriotic musicals in the in 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 our sights. Oh God, help us! Send help! <laughs> Send it to America. Uh, anyway, to joining me on this journey are a fine collection of people who watched these two movies. Monty Ashley, hello. Hi, uh, USA, USA. All right, excellent work. Andy and Notco. Hi, Andy. I have come to the conclusion that one useless man is a disgrace, that two are called a law firm, and that three or more become a podcast. That's right. Well, we are cool, <laughs> incomparable men today. Uh, David Lore is also out there. Hello. Mr. Snell, but Mr. Snell, the things I write are mainly light extemporanea. So we're doing this tonight, huh? Apparently we are. <laughs> Philip Michaels. <laughs> Philip, Philip Michaels, do your finest talk singing for us. That, that, that will not happen until I get a little, little bit deeper into this bullet. So uh... yeah. Mm-hmm. And Steve Lutz joins us as well. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jason. God, what a bastardly bunch we are. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Glenn Fleischman is also out there somewhere hovering uh, several miles above the surface of the earth. Good God, Mr. Snell, I will not be silenced. Sit down, Glenn. Sit down. All right, we're, uh, Phil, you are our, usually our guide to the old movie club, so I ask you, help. help. Yeah, don't, don't pin this on me. Help, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I um, had some suggestions for movies, and they were, yeah, I think, very good suggestions. And uh, I jokingly said, and this is why you should never, ever, ever joke about anything and, and go through life death, death, deathly serious. I said, well, we could do 1776, but it'll, it'll mostly be me and Anatko singing at each other for mm-hmm. the better part of an hour. <laughs> Can't wait for that. That, that. I'm hoping that'll carry us. That's, that's, a, very ad, that's a very advertiser-friendly format, should I say. Mm-hmm. So, so you're the one who started the singing thing. Actually. Yeah, well, sh- mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so yes, I I had the original sin, as it were. But but um, Jason playing Adam to my Eve. Mm-hmm. I don't like where this metaphor is going. Anyhow, Jason um, tweeted, Haha, "We could do 1776," and then uh, the masses. Yes, an avalanche of people on Twitter. An avalanche of people. <laughs> Uh, uh, the popular will, uh, democracy, if you will. Oh, uh, 
suggested that, yes, you have to do 1776. And I think this proves um, a very important point here on the 4th of July is that democracy is awful. (laughs) (laughs) What we need is a benevolent dictatorship. Yep, yep. Where some guy says, hey, let's do these good movies instead. Oh, no. Well, I'm, I'm- See, we did 200 <laughs> episodes without democracy, and we do one episode with democracy, and look what happens. And it crumbles. And um, so then um, we decided, well, you got to have a theme, so what What movie can we do? And there, there aren't that many um, really good patriotic choices for a movie. Perhaps we can debate that later on in the podcast. But we settled on, hey, let's go for another musical. Let's do Yankee Doodle Dandy, a movie which I had not, in fact, seen until just a little bit ago. So I think we should say we tried very hard to figure out what exactly our our, our movie would be that we would pair with 1776. And there were lots of different discussions about various patriotic movies, movies that people think of as related to the 4th of July but aren't patriotic in any sort of way, like Born on the 4th of July, and somehow Yankee Doodle Dandy came up and it was it's a musical and it's sort of patriotic and we just thought even though we hadn't seen it sure let's do that. My favorite suggestion from Twitter was that we watch the John Adams miniseries which well <laughs> well a fine miniseries is what 8 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot a lot of work. Significant significant investment of time. Just slightly slightly shorter than 1776. <laughs> <laughs> that stars my friend Paul Giamatti though. So and he's quite good in it. Len. But but far less singing. Less singing. He's, I have to, actually haven't seen that. I should see that. Yeah. For next July 4th, we'll watch it. We'll have time between now and then. Yeah, I recommend it. Not like these two movies that we're going to talk about for the better part of an hour. Okay. So I'm, so I'm going to have to be the one to say that 1776 is a terrific musical, and yes. Yankee Doodle Dandy is certainly within at least the middle of the bandwidth for music mu- musicals of that period. I'm being, I'm being cruel and I'm being a jerk because that's my... my uh, default setting. That's your bit, yeah. It's, it's my yeah. It's my thing. It works for me. <laughs> but I, I will say this: 1776 is a perfectly fine musical. I I I enjoy it. I enjoy it less each time I see it. Um, oh. I have to no. I because I pick out the the flaws and the errors, and and I, and I don't want to get too much into it and be be a negative Nelly. It's a very fine musical, and the first time you see it, especially if if you like me, saw it as a as a history loving middle schooler. And you turn and you turn it on, and there's John Adams singing, and wow, that's that's unusual. And there's the great line about uh, about that Ben Franklin has uh, Howard De Silva plays him. Don't worry, John, the history books will clean it up a bit. It, 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 it's a fun musical, um, and Yankee Doodle Dandy is also present. Well, I will say, as somebody whose historical knowledge pretty much stopped around middle school, because that's when I stopped paying attention. Uh, I really quite enjoyed 1776. So yeah, so let let's get into that one yeah. first, then, because I think that one will be the we'll, we'll all I think sort of enjoy it to varying degrees. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first time I'd seen 1776, Me and too. I had a markedly different experience than the one <laughs> Phil says I should have had. Why do you hate America, Monty? <laughs> Sh- should I summarize the plot, Jason, before we get into it? Yes, please, please. Okay, the year is 1776. <laughs> oh my god, spoilers already. <laughs> I like to call this 13 angry small groups of men. <laughs> How much work it is to build this wall around your heart so that no light can get into it. Uh-huh. Is it more of a maintenance thing, or is it like painting a bridge that just never ends or begins? 
I think it's safer not to let light into your heart. Maybe my anatomical <laughs> knowledge is incorrect. But... There's a whole musical with puppets and stuff about uh, how Phil gradually built his hardened wall around his heart. <laughs> so the year is 1776 is what you're saying. Yes. Phil. The place America. Okay. Or or not quite America just yet. It's Philadelphia and also dreams. It's like Die Hard in Congress. <laughs> and things are things are not going well for the rebel colon, colonies. Their uh, their 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 <laughs> army is in disarray. The, the the Congress is fighting, and John Adams is obnoxious and disliked and trying trying, mind you, to get everyone to vote for independence. This is something that 1776 has in common with the John Adams miniseries, by the way. That he's kind of unpleasant, and people don't like him. Also with history. Also, history would confirm this is not a plot device. I have heard that, um, and and people who are better read than me can can dispute this, but I I sort of think a lot of that has been colored by his presidency, where he was not uh, well liked. Yes. Uh, mm. As a, as a, as a younger gentleman, he was uh, far more respected, and his his uh, uh, personality traits. Uh, were sort of overlooked uh, based upon his uh, his brilliance as a uh, as a thinker and a lawyer and a, and a writer. But um, yeah, he was generally disliked. Well, the Alien and Sedition Acts probably have something to do with culling our memory as well. So that's 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 part of it. Our har- horrible presidency. He, he was a great pre-president, great post-president. In the office, not so much. But but so but so but so much of so much of what was talked about is actually like directly from his correspondence, especially the obnoxious and disliked line. And I seem to recall from the from the John Adams miniseries that we could have watched instead. That he, <laughs> he burnt a lot. He destroyed a lot of his personal papers that might have uh, been from happier times. And what what survives is is the 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 embittered uh, John Adams. He couldn't have been hated that much. He got the job done. David McCullough's book 1776 which is not the novelization of the movie is i mean it it kind of points out all the things that they got horribly horribly wrong or you know just sort of smoothed over for the purposes of drama but it is not exactly the most accurate version right it's historic it's historical fiction yeah it is it is it is not accurate at all it it well for starters they didn't sing constantly in the first continental congress i hate to spoil that for you also, also, they probably didn't have a giant pad of paper with the actual numeral <laughs> number of the date on it, and that they'd dramatically tear off every single day. Yeah, where do you get those printed up in 1776? Anyway, you, you got a guy. You, you got to You got to You got to have a guy. Uh, but uh, you, you can get them. Let's you get those from ye old Hallmark store. Back then, it, that wasn't a weird spelling either. But at least. <laughs> At least one can say for 1776 that it utilizes some actual legitimate source material, like Franklin's quotes and Adams's letters, and and it does and it does get and it does get broad broad things correct. I mean, you you're not you don't want to you don't want to expect that the sequence of events or even specific events of the of the that that led up to the signing the adoption of the Declaration were, were correct. But I think that if it delivers one thing that needs to be delivered, it's that. Man, these the guts on these guys to not only to basically here's a piece of paper with all of our names on it. So if this fails, guys, here's the, here's the list of people to round up and have hung, have yeah. hanged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the, and the and the idea that these weren't like you know thirteen colonies united in liberty. No, these are people who really had major major disagreements. That not even the entire all the colonies were like into this idea that they really had to be talked around to this. So, so yeah, so broad things that, that were that I think were very, very useful to impart, especially given that, as you say, this is something that kids are going to see, like you know, uh, when they're 
uh, the air conditioning conks out and they need to go out to, to a movie theater in 1972, 1973. Uh, it's, it's, it's a useful thing. Or when your social studies teacher just does not want to teach you <laughs> yes, anymore. Exactly. Pop, pop that one into the old VCR. This movie and Romeo and Juliet, two movies that almost everybody will get to see if they don't have a really great teacher. Speaking mm-hmm. of hung, there's a surprising number of jokes in this movie, which <laughs> it's true. I'm not sure if that's if that's legitimate or not, but there is some amount of sexual farce in this film. Oh no, no, no! I've read a book. There's a book called Doctor Bowdler's Legacy, written by the great and late Noel Perrin, who wrote a lot of really interesting mm. books about language, very fun, funny ones. Doctor Bowdler's Legacy defines this very specific point in the 1800s when people develop this horrible thing, Steve, which you would hate, called sensibility, and people Ooh. start getting sensitive. In the 1700s, duchesses would talk about their nether parts using coarse language. In the mid-1800s, it was all considered, you know, de trop, and it was all uh, beneath everyone's dignity to do so. So it's actually very accurate in the 1700s that people would go around making even much, much... In fact, the movie was toned down what would have been Mm -hmm. written in that Mm -hmm. period. And, you know, if you look at Franklin's papers, he certainly has a lot of comments about... (laughs) (laughs) apparatus and disease and so forth that one might employ in the sexual congress. The impression I got from the beginning of this movie is that, and I thought this for a little while, was they were going to make the argument that this whole Declaration of Independence thing would have been much easier if their wives had been with them for sex. And that that was like the biggest impediment was we left our wives at home when we came to the Congress, and that is a problem. Except for Franklin, who has no wife and no problem. (laughs) <laughs> and no cash and and several and several sexually transmitted diseases let's not leave that out does he have the french disease i wonder uh well uh, na- name name a european country and he probably has the nomenclatural <laughs> disease he, he had the dutch disease he had the english disease he's never been to venezuela so he never had the venezuelan degree disease but the austro-hungarian disease yes <laughs> he used to have the istanbul uh, disease but now it was constant constantinople uh I would like to point out that one of the things the movie got correct that is bizarre, given my typesetting background, is uh, the unalienable, inalienable <laughs> thing that's completely correct. John Adams did potentially in his – I'm looking actually as we speak. I wanted to double check the item. He actually hand-corrected the word that Jefferson wrote in his hand, inalienable, several times to unalienable. So the weirdest historical details are correct and the <laughs> grossest ones are made false. Right. Uh, just to, to close the loop on the – accuracy or not thereof about the only thing that bothers me uh about the i i think john dickinson and uh uh james wilson who are who are kind of the villains of the piece yes they, they get a raw deal i think i think the because because you can't have pit the younger and george the third singing songs about how <laughs> how we're gonna we're gonna crush your rebellion that would require two sets so yeah that would have mm-hmm. another whole nother set that would have blown their budget so um uh, uh, I I think if you if the only um, uh, uh, introduction to the signing of the, of the Declaration of Independence that you get is this movie, that you will get a very skewed picture of what John Dickinson and James Wilson were actually about. Yeah, but let's let's you're we we shouldn't worry that much about it. all the Salieri and Mozart were actually pretty okay friends and it's, yeah. it's pretty certain the salary didn't Whoa, kill him no. but it's a cool no. but it's a cool movie <laughs> f murray abraham you gotta you gotta love that darth maul actually had a lovely speaking voice <laughs> <laughs> i and I, well i actually I, I think that the the real star of 1776 william daniels he's great but phil hartman yeah, even oh, he, he, he was like <laughs> well, 17 he, when in in the three or five roles that he played in that movie he was magnificent <laughs> 
only no, no. he played the women too. This is this is true. One of my notes is that uh, is I didn't know Troy McClure. <laughs> was in 1776 and it's got to be i mean i i have to imagine that this is one of those movies that phil hartman watched and and maybe even riffed on some of these characters because they sound exactly like the movie characters that are done by phil hartman which is ironic because a lot of these people are stage actors making their their first movie and um in some cases their only movie yes yeah yeah, and because um, <laughs> they used uh, a lot of the original cast, or in the case of uh, uh, John Cullum, who plays uh, Rutledge from South Carolina, and you, who you may remember from such shows as uh, Northern Exposure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, hauling, hauling. Uh, he he was actually the second or third guy to play uh, Rutledge on Broadway. He was the third. Yeah, thank you. And um, he was the original choice, but they couldn't get him. They couldn't get so. him, and then he played the part, and they said, "Well, you're gonna be in the, you're gonna be in a movie." <laughs> uh, but a lot of these guys were were stage actors, and it's funny that you mentioned um, you you made the reference to Amadeus. Uh, two of the actors who are in this movie go on to appear in Amadeus: uh, the fellow who plays Samuel Chase of Maryland and the fellow who plays Lyman Hall of Georgia are both in that movie. And that that's what makes this movie stronger. I love it when I, I love it when you have the original Broadway cast that made uh, made a, a musical or a play valuable enough to make a movie, and they just simply transfer as much of that cast over because when yes, because yeah. it's like oh great Gypsy starring Lillian Russell oh okay that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted oh Barbara Streisand as as Dolly Levi oh wait that's not right is it. Russell Crowe and Hugh Jackman, just for example. Yeah, if they had cast, say, Clint Eastwood as Thomas Jefferson, it's a totally different movie, <laughs> and not a very good one, as Paint Your Wagon will prove. You you have the you have these people that like have like been playing these roles like for hundreds of performances. They absolutely are invested. They absolutely believe in this, as opposed to, well, I've got nothing booked from August through October. Okay, fine, I'll do this little funny little movie, and I'll wink to the camera. And if I can wear my hockey jersey instead of you know that, that stifling wardrobe, that's fine too but there are definitely things that um that don't translate well to the um to the screen that might have worked on the stage the last night mm-hmm. as i was watching the movie the um the the scottish uh, the the guy from delaware mckean <laughs> with all that is just not a character that works <laughs> almost me. a race crime isn't it <laughs> yeah man ah hey, this will this will break the tie <laughs> okay so that's 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 a bit disappointing, but I, I think actually the the MVP of the movie is Howard De Silva. Oh, absolutely, Benjamin mm-hmm. Franklin. Really? Because I thought he sounded like he was doing a bad imitation of Ed Wynn the entire time. That voice <laughs> choice was oh, yes. not good. He really did. He was winning it up big time. Yes, he he was winning it up, and I, I mean the whole time when I watched it this time, I just heard Andy. So <laughs> I felt he was trying way too hard to make mildly funny things hilarious. And for me, it went the wrong direction. The turkey is a noble bird, source of sustenance. Interesting. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Franklin. But then Franklin is a great character just fundamentally because Franklin himself was a great character. And so I kind of like the fact that there's this older guy and he's he's kind of back there in the background. And I'm, I'm not sure how much of that is the script and how much of that is just uh, is history interceding his his. Yeah, he seemed kind of broad, but at the same time, there, there's a lot of broad stuff happening in this movie, and and I just enjoyed the character and the fact that he's 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 doing all of these machinations behind the scenes, and you get the sense that you know he's 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 got it all worked out, and and it's just sort of like uh, he's that wise. He's almost like that uh, 
that that wise uh, elder figure that you see in some movies who is like he's nodding in the corner. Yes, now you understand. There's some of that in there too. Oh, I, I want to bring something up too, which is that um, I watched the uh, director's cut, which I didn't know there was one, and I'm uh, it seemed to go on. Uh, in the nicest way, interminably. It seemed yes. a lot longer than I remember. <laughs> oh, that must be the version I saw. Yeah, that's the one I think that everybody sees now is the one that's three hours long. I wonder, yeah, it says it was released in 2002. So as the one I saw, I'm sure, in high school and I saw on you know various like AMC or wherever they showed it, that was apparently 20 minutes shorter. And I didn't, I mean, mm-hmm. I remember it being a little bit uh, you know more clipped and tight. And I'm like, God, this seems to be, that number probably didn't need to go on that long. And oh. so that's that's a good recollection. People haven't seen it in this long, too. I, I have this. I have, I have the same reaction to it as I had to the abyss. Where shall, shall I tell the story? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the story behind the cuts. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll just finish up by by saying that I I had the I had the opposite reaction in that I always liked this movie, but it always seemed a bit choppy. Where there were transitions that oh. didn't make a whole lot of sense. And like, oh, why did why why are they suddenly why why do some why does everybody suddenly decide to run out of the room into the street? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why did that happen? And how and, and how and how come and and how come like these two are acting like they've had this long conversation that there's an understanding between the two of them? Uh, and when they when they restored all those scenes, I, I I like this movie, so I didn't mind that it was longer, but I did think it improved the movie because it really seemed to stick together. And also, cool, cool, considerate men. What a crime it was to lose that to begin with and here we go into my story so uh the movie is produced by jack warner who is a very close personal friend of president nixon who was the president in 1972 for our younger listeners um and you'll remember you'll you'll recognize him from futurama yes Mm. will he be dropping by the podcast later perchance he might be (laughs) i can do a great dick nixon well let us know when you do (laughs) <laughs> oh, this podcast God. has so many guest presidents on it. <laughs> Don't tempt me. So, um, uh, Jack Warner screens the, uh, the 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 full cut for the president at the White House, and Nixon found cool, considerate men—the uh, number that Andy referred to—just as uh, he 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 thought it an attack on his presidency, which it kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he he kind of became enraged. And Jack Warner said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna cut that number." And they uh, probably cut some other things for for timing and for. Uh, well, they, apparently, they cut the whole opening credit sequence. Yes. Yes, oh. it used to just start with um, John Adams up in the bell tower, uh, as I recall. <laughs> and um, and as he's striding down the stairs to the, the main hall, it just says 1776, and then they right. delay the other credits till the end of the picture. Which I actually thought was a better uh, opener. Agreed. Yeah, I can go with that. Time for a break to tell you about our sponsor, Lynda.com. You've heard me tell you about Lynda.com before. More than 2,000 high-quality video courses available on demand. They're all available for subscribers to lynda.com. They don't nickel and dime you. Every part of every course is available for one low monthly price, $25. Now, these courses are taught by experts. It's not random people who have learned just enough to go through a checklist. It's not like that. And they aren't people who are down in a basement somewhere who uh, who are making shadowy YouTube videos. These are state-of-the-art video studios that lynda.com has and industry experts doing the training. So if you want to learn about anything, creative stuff, software, business skills, hobbies, programming, 
all sorts of stuff about Apple. It's all available, more than 2,000 courses at lynda.com. And because of the way that they put it together, you can learn whenever and wherever you want on a computer, on a tablet, on a phone. You can take 15 minutes and learn something really quick. You can spend 15 hours and learn everything. Learn at your own pace, on your own terms, with the great structured video coursework at lynda.com. Now, I have told you before, I've used lynda.com to bone up on things like Logic Pro, which I use to edit the incomparable, on Things like responsive design and HTML5 and other things that I've been working on in building the Incomparables website. Every time I think to myself, God, I don't know how to do that, I just go to lynda.com. I've got access to more than 2,000 courses. They've almost always got what I want. And uh, it, then it's fast to jump to exactly what I want to learn and get it from one of the people who is probably among the few people in the world who is an expert on that category. The experts at lynda.com are that good. Now, this all sounds great, and you're saying to yourself, well, how do I know that the lynda.com stuff is really that good? Here is the cool part. Linda will give listeners of The Incomparable a special offer to access the entire lynda.com library, not a taste test, the whole thing, every part of every course, free for seven days. Visit lynda.com slash incomparable to try it for free for seven days. So first step, think about what you want to learn. Second step, lynda.com slash incomparable. You'll get seven days free to learn that thing you just thought of before you went there. And when you do that, you'll realize the incredible breadth and depth of the lynda.com library. So lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. And thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting the incomparable. I was talking about this on Twitter last night with a, a, a friend of mine who, who I think enjoys the musical, and he was saying, boy, that is a weirdly shot scene, the cool, considerate men. It's a, it's a good number. I don't really much care for the way that uh, um, uh, I think the actor is Donald Madden sings it in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's much better on the, uh, the Broadway soundtrack. But uh, it's just weirdly filmed. It's like I'm having a freak out in the middle of it. It, it is. It is. Uh, which is which is the cool, considerate men? Uh, which sequence is that? That is the the Adams. Adams has gone off to New Brunswick where the whoring is, and uh, and uh, the pencil uh, Dickinson sings gets it gets his song. Okay, this is when they do their little minuet or whatever it is on the on the floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. To the right, ever to the right, never to the left, forever to the right. For for me, you know, the whole the whole movie is really. I mean, it's clear that this is not someone who has shot movies a lot, and it's very static and stagey. And then every now and then, there's like this moment like that where you're you're suddenly, oh, I can move the camera, <laughs> yeah. and I can make the actors move too. Oh my god! And then he forgets again. We have a staircase. Let's put this song on a staircase. It'll actually be dynamic for a moment. Yeah, you you, you got you got to wonder like on what day was the crane finally delivered? <laughs> right, because, because I mean they, they they the crane became so important that they actually tore apart the soundstage at the end to get that final crane shot. So that's and and it's also it's also a very like there's this I, I don't I I don't have the terminology for it, but there's a style of filmmaking that is absolutely of that time like the late 60s early 70s where you have to have like a shot that begins on a flickering candle (laughs) 
and then you pull away and then you, you bring up a spot that it's and you do this this montage where you're going to have like a like someone's graduation photo where you've got the pensive version of the person and then same shot different angle of the person from wide shots you can see how good the costume is so yeah it's 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 a very it is it is an oddly shot film i'll, I'll grant that this is the director's first film as a director his only film as a director right he became a tv director of some re- some repute some he he directed i married dora well there you go and 37 episodes of touched by an angel <laughs> <laughs> but not in that way so um the the number that i can't stand actually is um the one that immediately follows uh, cool considerate men which is uh, mama looks sharp oh god <laughs> I was wondering why that 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 was in this movie. Because Vietnam was happening is why it's in that movie. Mm-hmm. Thank God that the Liberty Bell was secure because the anvil should have just been dropping throughout that scene. I meant I. Why didn't Nixon use his pull to get that movie? Get that movie out. Get that song out. It's a hippie song. In the stage production, it's before the intermission, and so they sing that. Everyone's delighted to get out of their seats and run and get a drink. So. I actually saw a production of it, and it, it's, it can be rendered very beautifully. The filming of it, I think, distracted from the – it's a very weird song, um, but it can be sung incredibly beautifully. The, the, sta- the staging is very, very hokey, and I think that's what detracts from it. It's, it serves a really good purpose because mm-hmm. here we are like being amused by all these people who are buttonheads with each other. Meanwhile, there are people who are legitimately just dying horribly. Uh, and this is, and here are the stakes. If they guess wrong here and they commit all of these troops to a prolonged battle, they're probably going to lose. It's not just a simple. It, we 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 know we know that what's what the outcome is going to be to sign to the Declaration of Independence. But this kind of increases the stakes. This is a movie that demonstrates that you can't re, it's you can't really introduce something as serious as that in a movie as light as this until you're absolutely certain that the audience is finally with you like molasses to rum to slaves and uh, is anybody there which are two songs that two two numbers that really would seem like on paper when you look when you read the lyrics like the lyrics are so flamboyant and so out there and the idea that here is a music, here is here is a dramatic song that's going to sing all about the triangle trade and slavery. If they put that at the beginning of the movie, you just wouldn't buy it at all. And and if you are encountering either of these numbers as YouTube uh, clips and you've not seen the movie, it might also seem just hysterically over theatrical. But if you've been in this theater for two hours and you are at this point where you know that the this entire fate of a nation depends on this incredibly complicated issue and people coming together on that, that's when you actually suddenly are really on the, on the edge of your seat with this sort of stuff. So I think that I think that uh, uh, look, Mama looks sharp. It might be right at that tipping point where, if it had happened a little bit later in the movie, it might have had a bigger impact. Or if they had really, if the director had done it a little bit better, you know, and not not done the prom photo style of, of, of cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> Molasses to rum to slaves. Uh, I I never really liked that. What? As a, no, no, but give me a moment. Well, because the the gentleman from South Carolina is apparently having some sort of seizure on the floor of the Congress. <laughs> it is again. It's not a scene that's very filmed well. I I I liked it once I bought the the the, the Broadway soundtrack and actually heard it sung there without the the stupid visuals. Where whereas I think it's a much more powerful song there. 
There, there. I kind of disagree with you. I, I do see. I do see your point. I just disagree. This, what the this is a movie that's being directed by a theatrical director, so he's going to use theatrical tricks instead of again uh, cinematography tricks to it. Whereas I will say, and I and I hope you will all agree, or you cannot be my friends anymore. That the um, <laughs> that the song that that Adams and Franklin and Roger Sherman uh, 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 and the New York guy whose name is escaping me at the moment. It's a wonderful song. The, the song about the, 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 but Mr. Adams, but Mr. Adams. Thank you. That, that is, that is a wonderfully filmed scene. That is a wonderful song. That is, that is, uh, uh, I think that is high comedy and I think it's historically uh, accurate and I enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, you're a monster. Well, you have to enjoy it because it's it's after 30 minutes of no music in a musical. Those 30 minutes were my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> Me too, actually. I got to tell you. The only thing about that song is, you know, and I, I, I love it, and it is. It is high comedy. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's adorable, and I love William Daniels. But when I was watching it with the boys, uh, the 12-year-old liked it because they kept going, you butt, you butt, you butt, and they thought they were calling each other, you butt. And it was like, all right, yeah, fair. I, I can I can do that. The, the the pacing of the songs in this is bizarre. Like there yes. there are songs and then there is for there are vast deserts where you are watching the drama that is seventeen seventy six and then somebody starts to sing and you're like, What what oh Right. So apparently that that is scene three in the music in the stage musical, and it was called uh, amongst the cast and crew the Big Three, and it was one of the few uh, uh, Broadway shows where the orchestra actually left the pit <laughs> because mm-hmm. it went on so long without them them playing anything that okay we're gonna go get a smoke while you guys union rules if if you're not playing for X amount of time you can leave. So, yeah, it is a long, long bit between songs right there. They claim on the DVD commentary that they tried repeatedly to find a song they could shoehorn in there somehow. Nothing ever worked, which I find somewhat hard to believe, considering (laughs) how poorly some of the songs that are actually in the picture fit. It is just my opinion, but that song that's about adverbs could have been shoved in anywhere in the movie and have been just as annoying. Are you talking about lolly, lolly, lolly? Basically. <laughs> you, 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 yours, yours, yours. Wow. Till then, till then. The Lees of Virginia. Well, they also said that the Lees of old Virginia was deliberately, unbelievably over the top, specifically so people wouldn't pass out during the following 30 minutes. I wanted to ask about Lee, speaking of the Lees of old Virginia. My note, my note here is, who is this goofball? It is the broadest of broad. I mean, it's like I, I kept waiting for the sad trombone to appear when Mr. Lee appears. Oh, come on. I mean, the jokes obviously, annoyingly, ridiculously, <laughs> repeatedly. Isn't that exactly like, isn't that like exactly your dream role? If you cannot be like the star of the movie, give me one number, which I can just absolutely chew up the scenery for three and a half minutes and then ride, vault a horse and then ride off never to return. That's what you want. A good five days of filming. Everybody will like ask Donald O'Connor, make him laugh. This is one big thing in, uh, in, in singing in the rain, but that he could have retired right after that. Well, but to, to put, to put it in music man terms. 
To put it in music man terms, this is the Shapoopy of 1776. Yeah, it sure is. Wow. I want to point out something about the singing, which is that for having so many male voices and so few female, there's not enough harmony. I mean, they're not looking for barbershop, but The Egg is one of the only songs in which they do any real close harmony for an extended period. There's a lot of unison and there's a lot of sort of chorus, but I feel like it underuses the power of the voice. Practically, my first note is that the very first song that's telling John Adams to shut up of the several, it uses the kind of full <laughs> chorus singing that works great on stage, but I don't think comes across great in a movie just because the sound doesn't play as well. I actually had to turn the uh, subtitles on and go back and watch that again so I could figure out what the hell they were saying. Yeah. And then I was quite pleased with the song. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's funny. I made a point that people agree with. I'm not sure what's going on here. This isn't the show I'm No, I don't know. It'll never happen again. That was our, that was our one moment. I had a few other notes that, uh, of my um, watching this. A line that I liked was the, uh, you sent us Congress. Good God, was that fair? I thought that was <laughs> yeah. a very funny line. Can I complain about that line for a second? Yes, go uh, ahead. Go Monty. right ahead. Piss on everything. I'm going good. to. <laughs> <laughs> the line, was that fair, is somehow pronounced to rhyme with North America and Philadelphia. And that's terrible songwriting. Yeah. Terrible. Yes. You should be ashamed of yourself for enjoying it. No, and I don't. Because I, 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 thought, I thought that was actually a funny little bit. So, But you're right. It was at what price is what you're saying. At what cost <laughs> for rhymes like that? I, I'm saying that they apparently just wrote down the lyrics and then told the singers... Make it rhyme. I don't care what the words actually sound like. <laughs> I, I think it is a, 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 a searing indictment of New England accents. Yeah, I think that's it. Those were New England accents? Okay, I have more complaints. <laughs> I, I, um, I also wanted to mention that I really appreciated speaking uh, – uh, Steve mentioned dick jokes earlier. I wanted to say that I, I really appreciated the various Rhode Island is in the can, Rhode Island passes jokes. Those were that's, – that's good stuff. Ah, that was good stuff. Although I was sorely disappointed that there was never a Hancock pun at any point in the film. Well, I, that, that's 1972. I think that may be too far. But Rhode Island passes while Rhode Island is out in the privy. Was, uh, that, was a laugh, that was a laugh out loud moment for me. I, 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 really, I really enjoyed that. And then you had to explain to your kids that, <laughs> that passes is often used for eliminating a waste material. Oh, no. My, my kids had abandoned the TV long before then. <laughs> 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 yeah, I quite like the uh, the secretary. I'd forgotten that role entirely, and it's a weird little part until he has that strange moment where he says, "I think General Washington is writing to me." And you're thinking, "This man has lost it." <laughs> no, don't, don't, but don't, don't you love the one where he keeps getting interrupted every time he tries to, pre- to read the resolution? Say, like, "Oh, just oh, let me get through once." <laughs> that was very a very for- a forgotten role, I think. I, I, he, he always reminds me of Johnny from Airplane. Yeah. <laughs> like, for most of the movie, he's basically scenery, but he comes in for a few good pops. Yeah. I quite like the uh, argument between uh, Adams and Dickinson, where the exchange is, I believe, Fribble, Madman, Landlord, and Lawyer. Oh, yeah. And Lawyer is the one that finally pushes John Adams over the edge. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. too far. Yes, take a cane to him. Bridge too far. But what the hell is a Fribble? It's it's what you get at friendlies. The frubble with fribbles. I think that's the episode. Yeah, in question. <laughs> I I liked um I liked that New Jersey the the guys from New Jersey show up just in time and it's like oh yeah oh who are we right you don't even know oh we're we're New Jersey 
We're the guys from New Jersey. Are we really 40 minutes into this before we mention that's the governor from Benson? I like the fact that Governor Gatling is in this uh, and that he is exactly the same character as he is in Benson. And it was it was weird because I lived in Princeton for years. So everything was John Witherspoon this and John Witherspoon that and Witherspoon Street and Witherspoon Bookstore. And so it was like, oh, wait a minute. Of course, he was a real person. And he was the governor for Benson. There's a uh, there's a there's the uh, the Bartlett who is the namesake of uh, of the West Wing <laughs> character is referenced here too who is actually well yeah the the thing that that really struck me this time because I'd seen it before was that Aaron Sorkin must have watched this not just for Bartlett but just for the mach- machinations and the sort of wheeling and dealing and it just reminded me of the West Wing a lot and and also also Twelve Angry Men yeah that's that's true yeah. I, if we're singling out like what, the really beautiful like little lines, I I, I always come back to uh, Lyman Hall of Georgia. So asked about asked about his to vote where is where he stands on uh, on independence. Say, well, the Georgia is split right down the middle. The people are against it, and I'm for it. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's really good. And I I really loved um, our rebellion is always legal. Their rebellion is never legal. I thought that was really great. I think my favorite uh, line and moment in the film was probably right at the end where they actually pass independency. And uh, rather than have a huge celebration, Adams just sits down and says, it's done. It's done. And that's that's a really great moment because between the look on his face and the seven gallons of fake sweat that somebody spray bottled <laughs> onto his brow, <laughs> you, you really feel his sudden realization of, oh, crap, what did I just get us into? Because in my version, they'd freeze frame it and play Journeys any way you want. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're confusing 1776 with Caddyshack again. It's a common mistake. So now I, I have to say, though, in terms of in terms of uh, inspiring Fourth of July kind of patriotic moments, the fact that the the vote that puts it over the top is Wilson, and the only reason he votes the way he does is because he, he'll he be remembered as the guy who stopped it if he doesn't, but if he says yes, no one will remember him. Ironically, Quite inaccurate. He's in a movie. He, yeah, he got it wrong, but but I, what a what a reason to vote that way, but that's yeah. that's the thing that pushes over the top, is I don't want to stand in the way of this thing and be known as the guy who stood in the way of it, so I vote yes. Well, and, and partially, surely some of that is just because he's tired of Dickinson uh, pushing him around. Assuming he, he takes him for granted, right? Pennsylvania is, is just a block, and it always votes as Pennsylvania, and Dickinson is the voice there, and then all of a sudden, it un- it unravels at the end, which is a nice little hidden trap door in the plot, right? Of course, Adams has uh, has has sent Franklin off to try and and get that vote. So one presumes that maybe there was some, uh, you know, that Franklin went off and planted a little seed in his mind. If if I may, um, if I may, just speak to the kids out there for a moment. <laughs> Hello, kids. I'm not sure what we should allow it, but go ahead. I'll allow it. Hi, kids. I'm Phil. I'm. I may look like a bright guy. I'm not a very bright guy, but I, 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 I know enough to read a bit. And if you would like to learn more about the signing of the Declaration of Independence, why don't you go to Amazon and pick up a book called "Signing Their Lives Away," which gives little thumbnail sketches mm. of everyone who signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, it's not, you know, the greatest biography in the world, but it gives you a nice little. Uh, a better view than you might get scanning the Wikipedias of the world. And uh, you'll learn a little bit more about James Wilson and also uh, people not featured in this movie like Button Gwinnett and uh, and Benjamin Rush and uh, 
uh, lots of figures who helped found the country that you you live in today. Offer not valid to people listening outside the U.S. And knowing is half the battle. Time for a brief break to talk about our sponsor, Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. Squarespace is easy to use. You don't have to get into the technical details of HTML and JavaScript. If you don't want to, you actually can modify their templates and make it do anything you want. But if you don't want to, that's fine. It comes with beautiful templates. It's easy to use. There is a drag-and-drop system to put it all together. If you find yourself having trouble, wanting some help, they have amazing tech support. They have 24-7 support via live chat and email. They have tech support people in New York City and in Dublin, Ireland. Here's another great thing about Squarespace. The plans are affordable. They start at $8 a month. And if you sign up for a year, that includes a free domain name. They'll register it and get it all set up for you. The templates that come with Squarespace sites are responsive. That means that they look great on the desktop, on your Mac or PC, and then on mobile devices, iPhones, iPads, you name it, they look great there too. Brilliant, responsive design in these beautiful templates. So they'll look good on mobile, they'll look good on the desktop. And if you want to sell stuff on the internet, Squarespace has got you covered. They have a complete online store set up. Every site on Squarespace comes with an online store. So if you want to sell things on the internet, you can do it on a beautiful site with 24-7 tech support, Plans starting at $8 a month. Put it all together. What do you get? You get Squarespace. Now, for a free trial of Squarespace and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code GEEKY. That'll let them know that the incomparable sent you. Squarespace.com, offer code GEEKY at checkout. A better web starts with your website. And thank you, Squarespace, for sponsoring the incomparable. So I I, I thought it was interesting. Again, you've, you've mentioned the... Uh, Vietnam and Nixon references in this in this movie. I think also because obviously, as we're, this movie is made by people in the seventies and uh, is knowledgeable about American history, that the and, and this is true, but the speed bump at the end is the is the slavery question, which has much more weight, knowing what would happen ninety years hence. Um, and so I thought that was really. I thought that was a really interesting point, and we get the the uh, rum and slaves song. Although that is totally not John Cullum singing that song, and if no, it, it is, it, no, it, it is. It can't be. It can't. It's, what, well, it's nothing. It sounds so unlike his speaking voice that it. Well, then, then I'm very confused because he's not doing a fake accent during it. He is amazing. Okay, so then I would say this. Then, then, then this is my complaint: is he. Um, he modulated too much between that song and his speaking voice in the movie to the point where it is unrecognizable as the same guy. I'll give you that. It's like this is the recording session voice and this is the when I'm on the set voice and it's just it took me out of it too. But that's that's a, and that is a crazy musical number. But I did find that that was a surprising amount of weight. Like to Andy said, at that point in the movie, it's able to bear down with that level of weight of like this is a, a thing that had to happen in order for for the declaration to happen, but that baked the civil war basically into the country from the start and it was going to be a problem eventually. And I I liked that that was in there. 
I thought the moment was strong, but the song was just so, so over the top that it just took me out of it. I mean, some, he, he's, he's singing a perfectly fine song, and then just suddenly he descends into going, yeah, hell, hell, yeah. That's the entire point of it. It break, has to break up in the middle by saying, for God's sakes, man. Because he's really trying to wind people up and saying, look, you've been spending this entire debate trying to make us feel bad for being, for being slave owners. Why don't you just admit that you're part of the problem, too? Screw you. Right. And picture that moment in the theater where he's doing that and people in 19, you know, the 1960s, late 60s, or early 70s are being confronted with that kind of presentation. There was nothing like that being presented at that time. Everything else there was, you know, so I think it would have been a powerful moment in the yeah. theater, less so in the films by then. But certainly in the theater, yeah, yeah, and and he is amazing on stage. He was in uh, he was the villain in Urine Town a couple of years ago. Oh my god! And again, no, you know where if, if he was on Broadway in the show Urine Town, which won a Tony and a Pulitzer. That's a real show, this. Steve. He's not making it up. <laughs> I, I it's all Rent's fault. Yes, <laughs> and um, and and he's lovely in it. But if you only know him from Northern Exposure. Uh, then the only time you saw him sing was like in the Christmas episode where he'd sing Oh Holy Night with his very modulated angelic voice. Yeah. And everyone would go, oh, Holling can sing. Well, there, there are a lot of people like that. William Duell, the guy who plays uh, McNair, like the, the custodian, mm-hmm. like he is one of these like legendary Broadway guys who's just been in every single thing you've ever heard of. Uh, I was uh, uh, when I saw... Uh, uh, the, the man who came to dinner, the, the Nathan Lane production that was so funny. It's like, oh, look, it's the guy from 1776. And then that's why I actually looked for his background. It's like, oh, he's been essentially in every single play. He's like, he's he's he's, he's like he's like having a like like how Pixar can't do a movie without John Ratzenberger. If you wanted to have a successful successful play, you have to have William Duell in there somewhere. Yeah, I rec- I recognized him sooner than I recognized William Daniels. Because William William Daniels looks a little different, but that guy's looked the same for forty years. And I, I think he's featured in quite a few sitcoms and TV shows along the way. That guy was born old. I, I think he was the, the snitch on Police Squad. Yes. No, he was Johnny. He was Johnny, and he was in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, one of my favorite movies. He was born in 1923. Oh, he died three years ago now. So, but he's, he... Well, that's very sad. Thank you for bringing that up, Glenn. And there hasn't been a Broadway hit since. Everyone in this film is now dead. dead. Sit that's down. That's not true. Except like no, That's quite untrue. <laughs> sure, it's true. John Adams is dead. Not a John Franklin is dead. <laughs> Ken Howard is much alive. William Daniels yeah. still uh, kicking. I know. Huh. Mr. McPhee. I never noticed in The White Shadow, but Ken, Ken Howard was a fine specimen of a man. He was. No, seriously. I think that maybe the ponytail is what uh, what finally pushes him <laughs> over the top. <laughs> you know, so okay, this is I, I'm going I'm going to tell this is this is how far back I go with 1776. I used to have I, I grew a ponytail in college. It wasn't because of 1776, but when it occurred to when it occurred to me that like now that now that I was like uh, now that I was in college, I I, had, I could I could apply for my ponytail license. I thought, man, John Adams looked pretty good in that ponytail. I'm gonna. T- I'll, I'll that give me the coverage to, to to not get haircuts for 20 years. That is who you based your look around was John Adams. So if somebody came up to you and said, "Man, why are you wearing that ponytail?" You'd say, "Hey, it looked great in a musical." 
Exactly. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> not, I, you know, it's 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 as a, a long great... time Federalist, I believe. And... <laughs> also, I'll, I'll tell you another thing. Like ever, it cha- also helps me to get through like New England summers because you know you're you're it's it's 93 degrees and you're hot and you're sweating and then you're feeling like all kinds of self pity for yourself because you don't have air conditioning and it really did turn my head around a little bit to realize that well how, how did they do that in 1776 like in real times well they they wore ten layers of wool and they just simply didn't complain about it oh that's right i'm just i'm just feeling it twice as bad because i'm complaining about it all day i'll just suffer in silence and go forward yes they also died at 38 so there is that (laughs) i i will say this about the 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 movie there there's a problem i think with movie musicals where people suddenly break into song uh and it has this this sense this the sense of not not real about it that takes you right out of the movie and and to its credit, 1776, with the bright colors that everyone wears and the the costuming and the way that the movie is filmed, apart from the scenes that we mentioned that we thought the director did not do service to the material, I think that it works. It uh, it uh, a- as a movie, you don't go, why are these people suddenly singing? This is this is this is crazy talk. Um, in a way that it wouldn't work in other musicals. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, that's the convention of a musical. It's there's also the convention that wow, my eyes just didn't just. I didn't have a stroke and wake up and suddenly I'm looking at something else now. Oh wait, there was a cut there. Oh, that's not that's not natural. But you sort of gloss over it. But it's it it is it is part of the magic of musicals that either it works for you or it doesn't. And it is incredible that you can think that you know, Fred Astaire is going to start like dancing about getting a shine getting a shoe shine. And it will feel like it's the most natural thing for him to do in the world. But in any other musical, you have you know Adam Sandler try to open a can of olives and say, "Oh, I don't buy that at all." Well, you can either you can either buy into what the movie is selling, or the movie can be so removed from reality that you don't even need to buy in because it's so stagey and theatrical that of course they're going to sing. I think is I, that's how I would I would decode what Phil said, and and that's sort of how I feel. Is you're either completely engrossed and you'll go anywhere it'll take you, or the, the, you know, and with 1776, I feel like this is the way. Is I feel like I'm in a theater. It, it it's it's completely unreal. The part of my brain that would be saying, "Well, wait a second, why are they singing?" has been turned off because it's not that kind of movie. Whereas movies from a from a generation earlier of 1776 had to do this very stagey, very. We're doing a, a movie about the business we call show, and so we're all going to sing now, which I think segues nicely into Yankee Doodle Dandy. Can I make my final statement about 1776 before we go? Yes, this is your last last chance. And then we'll never speak Final pot shots. <laughs> I really disliked all of the songs in this movie. Wow! <laughs> what? <laughs> that is a all bold stand, commie. So you're basically going to drop a deuce, then walk away from it. That's what you're doing oh, here. Okay. I'm not walking away. Someone ought to open up a window. Wait, you like the book of this movie? You like the actual spoken, non-singing part? Here are two sentences I wrote down while watching this. This is the only musical I've ever seen where I like the dialogue but hate the songs. Oh wow. God. You are so <laughs> wrong. And then I wrote down, wait, I no longer like the dialogue. Oh! <laughs> you are so right. The, the songs are full of allegedly funny voices and forced rhymes. And I did not buy them for a second. Things I write are only light extemporanea. I won't put politics on paper. It's a mania. So I refuse to use the pen in Pennsylvania. You're right. Doesn't scan at all. 
David, were you going to say something? I mean, t- talking about just uh, people breaking out into song, the, the, one of the things that I like in this that I don't like from a lot of musicals in that late 60s, early 70s period is that this one kind of gets... I mean, we always got trained that if you're going to write a musical, the the only way for it to really work is if these people have no other choice but to sing. Their their passions, their their situations are just so intense and so dramatic that there's nothing left to do but sing and dance. No, wrong. And, and I, I kind of see that in this. I, I kind of like how it just sort of comes out. It's not like, oh, we're going to do a number now, for the most part. Some of them, yeah, it's... Hey, let's do a number. I'm so excited about needing pins sent back home. I must sing about it. <laughs> well, that's that would be one that does not quite work. Do you know how hard it was to make pins in 1776? <laughs> Let me bring up my monograph and I'll read it to you. You know, Jefferson Jefferson had some of his slaves starting to make nails at his plantation, and boy, it turned into a quite a nice little little business for him. Okay, we're we're gonna go around we're gonna go around to the whole group and give a verdict on this one because I feel I feel like we are very much uh, split on this, which is very unlike the Fourth of July when, as we've been clear, everybody must agree on everything. So this is terrible. David, Laura, what is your verdict on this one? I, I liked it up until the Bond music at the very last moment. Wow. Okay. It's it's really weird. It just feels like it's going to, you know, it's like... Roger Sherman will return in 1776-2. Articles of Confederacy. As the bell is ringing, it's this intense, you know, dramatic, and then you just expect the Bond theme and opening credits to start. It's like, wait a minute. You expect me to talk, Goldfinger? No, I expect you to revolt, Mr. Bond. <laughs> So, uh, Phil, Phil, you've you've sort of elaborated here that you you have liked it and seem to like it less every time you see it. I think it is a fine movie to watch every other July Fourth, hmm. if that's your thing, if that's your jam. Um, <laughs> if you like crap, then you'll no, probably no, 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 enjoy Steve. this crap. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, as I was saying, it's fun. There are probably like. 10, 12, 15 musicals I'd watch before this one if you put them in front of me. But, you know, every every couple of years, if the, you're feeling a certain spirit around July 4th, this is not a bad movie to watch. It's an enjoyable lark. All right. Monty, you, you, made, your, you made your feelings fairly clear, I think. Barely <laughs> made it through, honestly. And don't blame the era, because... There are good plays and musicals being done around this time, oh, too. My. Monty, I'm President Nixon, and I agree with you. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, Steve, your thoughts? Your verdict? I would like to abstain courteously. <laughs> Very nice. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to actually say that I really liked it, and I was shocked because uh, I'd never heard of this before it was assigned uh, as homework, and I sat down, <laughs> and uh, and there was some very broad John Adams dialogue at the top, and then a song that I didn't really understand, and uh, it seemed a little overwrought, but uh, once I settled into the whole spirit of the thing, I really enjoyed it. I was highly entertained. I was not annoyed by Howard De Silva. Uh, I I thought William Daniels was superb. I owe money to my bookmaker. His uh, his sarcasm and his uh, it, just the constant dear God stuff was uh, it slayed me <laughs> and 
Uh, I, I actually, I side a little bit with Monty in that I actually enjoyed the book better than I enjoyed the songs uh, because I felt like they were sort of interrupting the flow of the thing. Uh, I, there was some talk on the on the uh, DVD commentary that uh, some people had said when they when they witnessed the 30 minute gulf without uh, without music that that some had suggested well maybe it should have just been a play and I I'm, I kind of might side on that side and yet nobody would know what 1776 was if it hadn't had music so it's probably a good thing that they did but uh, yeah I was surprisingly entertained by it and uh, will probably watch again all right. Glenn, you uh, you have liked this. You still like it after watching it again? I I uh, I do. I have ver- three very brief comments. First, I've listened to the soundtrack uh, many times over the years, and I think the soundtrack um, by itself, without visual accompaniment or the book, it uh, holds up very well. And it's fun. The soundtrack is fun, and it's got ups and downs. But you know the the darker songs, and so forth. Uh, but it's a powerful soundtrack. Uh, I'll allow second- it. Okay. Second, <laughs> I think the movie is more boring than I remember because there are there's a lot of sort of it's a little bit of the the federation is at war or the trade you know, trade foundation federation. It's like there's a lot of mucking <laughs> oh about God. that does not advance. They must be giants, Jason. It does not advance the plot as much as one needs to with the complexity of what's going on. But um, but I think it's in, it's uh, it's it's good to watch, and I think the staging is odd. But I enjoyed seeing the film. The third brief comment is this musical opened a little bit about a year before Sondheim's company. And I think that 1776 is practically the apotheosis of this kind of musical. Um, when you think about it, I've seen it staged uh, once quite well and, uh, well, reasonably well. And, um, the kind of musical it is, a sort of fiddler on the, on the roof and that sort of long, you know, 20 plus year stretch of this sort of thing. This is kind of, I don't know, there were ones after this, but this is an incredibly great outing of that sort. And then the entire musical theater really changes dramatically, like, you know, months after it opens. Well, it's also three years after Cabaret, so... I feel like musicals had already started shifting. Did Cabaret have as much? I thought Company had the bigger impact because Cabaret told a linear story, um, just more you know more avant garde. I suppose. Also, also Company was a failure. Remember? People yeah, Cabaret really won a million yeah. Tonys, but it, everything sprung. I know, but everything sprung from that. Company broke the theater. That broke it in Little Night Music, and I mean Sondheim really just blew it up in this in the early seventies, and then Sweeney Todd kind of that took it to the next level. Yeah. So I just think as a historical thing, like just both like what this is, is like it's that last moment at which this is what everyone thinks of as musical theater, too. You're listening to musical theater. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, now obviously you have great affection for this movie and, and uh, have expressed it. So I, I think I know your verdict. Exactly. I, it's because well, it's you don't always continue to like the movies that you liked as a kid. Sometimes you're sometimes you're a, little, a bit embarrassed about it, and sometimes you still like it, but you acknowledge how much of that is wrapped up in nostalgia. But I can say that I still legitimately enjoy this movie every time I see it. It's one of the few movies that I've actually bought digitally because I want to have it on my devices. But uh, it it one I think one of the things that I appreciate uh, apart from liking it is that I I, I think it's a damn shame that. Uh, the most legendary Broadway casts, the most important productions you can think of, they're just dead. They just go away because the original cast goes away. There is no you can if you it's modern ages. They're they're videotaped, so if you go to a certain library, you might be able to see it, but you will never be able to see what Hello Dolly was like with the original cast and the original and something like the original staging. There are some problems. But there there's some things about 1776, the movie, that make it not as good as a movie could be. Like Amadeus, they totally reboot 
rebooted it as a movie. And you can tell scene by scene by scene they did it that way. 1776, I appreciate the fact that they were trying to make a great movie, but also at least subconsciously they thought, let us preserve this wonderful thing that this cast has spent years developing and making. And so if it leads to a lot of awkward shots and some scenes in which even as a kid i was thinking man that is one big ass belfry how big is how big is the top of independence hall that they've got this 50 yard wide belfry in it i I can i I can overlook and forgive that because i think it's much better to have preserved this wonderful thing that now succeeding generations can really really see it now Uh, i i definitely agree with that to take a modern example into the Woods has a recorded great performances version of the Broadway cast that's great, and I think will probably continue to be great even after the movie version, which stars movie stars instead of the Broadway actors. Well, David and I actually were just talking about this on Saturday, and uh, which is funny, and it, it, the idea of preserving something of the ephemeral uh, art of uh, live production so that there is some record of that, even though it's not the same, um, is interesting. My wife was on a school trip to see Into the Woods that day, and they got notes when they, they all got in their seats and opened the programs, and it said the original cast has returned for this one performance only because they're taping it for great performances. Hmm. And everyone went nuts. That's like Lenny. So every time I watch it, you know, it's like, my wife is in there somewhere. That's awesome. So um, I will just say before we do have to move on because we have another movie and we have to talk about Yankee Doodle, Doodle Dandy at least briefly. I, I will <laughs> I will just give you my verdict, which is I didn't think the songs were any good. Uh, I think perhaps what? I think that's what? I think I think that's perhaps that I have only ever been I've only ever been exposed to them in this film, and I, I thought I thought they were hard to even understand what they were saying at a lot of points. I found that the. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it. Perhaps I. I will watch it again sometime in a different frame of mind, expecting what I now know this movie to be. But I had a hard time. I had a hard time with it and didn't particularly enjoy it. And boy, it was long. So that's that's just the know. French yes. disease, Doc and Jason. Yeah, sure it is. <laughs> I did enjoy that. Kit uh, was uh, John Adams. That was great. And uh, and and that uh, Holling was uh, that that awful guy from South Carolina. I do appreciate Twitter <laughs> because I mentioned some things about 1776 while I was watching on Twitter and a Twitter account. <laughs> called angry sondheim responded so mm-hmm. that, All right. that was good i i know that account well i should say i got nothing against william daniels i thought he did fine i just didn't like the songs he was singing all right let's move on to let's move on to yankee doodle dandy i know i know i generally like things but... i am shocked that i am actually oh. in the crowd that thinks it's okay yeah well you are Me too I'm shocked about that too. Team Phil and Glenn. Uh-oh. I can't believe that Phil likes things. Anyway, um, and Steve likes things. That's even crazier. Well, let's correct that and talk about Yankee Doodle. Dandy. <laughs> yeah, let's, do that. <laughs> let's do that. Yankee Doodle Dandy, 1942. Yeah, this was actually great sequencing because I have a feeling we'll all have, be in some agreement about well, this. We'll, we'll, we'll see. No, no, no? that's not going to happen. No? That's not going to happen. Oh. This is directed by Michael Curtiz, who directed Casablanca. Which is a great movie. I wish we would have watched that instead. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's going to be good, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And it tells the story of George M. Cohan. And it stars James K. Well, let's start. Let, so, so, okay. So George M. Cohan. Uh, fa- not was, Jewish. Was famous. No, he's Irish. Irish. It's not Irish. Cohen. It's Cohan. <laughs> Cohan. Irish, the four Cohans. He wrote many songs that are that are are well known, and they decided to make a movie of his life as he was dying. Uh, it was a movie made during World War 
too, about a guy who came to fame in many ways writing patriotic songs during World War One. There is a framing sequence involving him being summoned to the White House because he's portraying Roosevelt on Broadway, and that's simply just not done. So what is the president going to say? He's going to call him on the carpet and demand, why, Cohen, why are you, you doing this? Um, and it stars James Cagney as... because yeah, that's exactly what FDR has time to deal with in 1942. <laughs> and it stars Cagney as Cohen. Along the way, you get the sense, not being totally uh, knowledgeable about the entire uh, George M. Cohan songbook, it seems to me that this is essentially taking the George M. Cohan songbook and sort of telling you his, the story of his life and being able to drop in his famous songs as as you go. So so it's like, this is how we came up with that song, and there's a lot of that in this, too. Yeah, it's a good synopsis. As I understand it, this movie... As I understand it, this movie was made by Cagney because people thought he was unpatriotic because he kept playing gangsters. Oh, really? So he wanted to play something as patriotic as he absolutely could so people would stop being mean to him. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a pretty good summary of what happened. I, I mean, here, so here's the thing. I didn't love this movie either, but um, I think... Uh, I think Cagney is actually kind of great. His dancing is amazing, and he's a really he's incredibly likable. And I haven't seen him in very much, but he's I think he's fantastic in this. It is a little weird that he's about two years younger than his dad, though. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Before before I crap all over this movie, let me just say. <laughs> have Have you been like eating raisins for two days in pre- preparation for this podcast? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Come on out open up a window. <laughs> um, the. The the argument in favor of this movie is that it is you get to see James Cagney deliver a great performance in a uh, in, in a role that you really don't associate with James Cagney. You associate him with gangster movies um, like White Heat and The Public Enemy and such. Angels with you certainly don't expect him to tap dance. You certainly don't expect him to tap dance. Exactly. Tough guys don't tap dance. And he is he is very good in this movie, which offers nothing else for anyone involved in the movie to do. Um, and the musical numbers are all done in the. And then we did this stage number. Here it is, and it's it's not a musical in the sense that, like seventeen seventy six, where it's people spontaneously breaking into song. It is very staged, very. It's like li- literally, here is me writing this song, or here is us performing this yeah. thing I just wrote. So all of the music is really happening in the context of of reality of it it, it being produced. If you if you if you have Turner Classic Movies, this is so familiar to you because that was like a, a genre of movies mu- musicals in the 30s and 40s where the, his- the 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 life history of Oscar Hammerstein like oh well you know here I am it's 1911 I've just got a bought a new Packard oh no the Packard's broken down if I only could th- write, write a song to make money to fix the Packard and the the, equi- the equivalent in this movie is they're trying to get the starlet to be in the movie uh, or to be in his uh, his play and 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 while she's demanding that I, well, I'll never work with that Cohen. He's terrible. And then he turns around and says, "Well, I just wrote this song for you." Well, let's let's, let's not let's not even let, let's not skip over the, the the most insane framing device that has ever been put into a movie. Before you get into that, <laughs> a- Andy has actually uh, made a very salient point, which is basically this this movie is a is a biopic from the era before Wikipedia was invented. <laughs> so they could say anything they wanted. Yeah, it's basically, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened too, and here's a song about it. And if you if you like your biopics where it's actually, um, 
it uses the character the, the person's life to explore a larger issue about the human condition. <laughs> this is not the movie for you. This this, this is basically here is stuff that George M. Cohen wrote. We're going to write songs around it. There is no conflict in this movie. The yeah. only bad things that ever happened to George Cohen is, is as a kid, he's kind of mouthy. And then uh, <laughs> he writes a play that people don't like. And then uh, he gets beaten up once. And, and then uh, his dad dies. And those are the that's the extent of the bad things that ever happened to George M. Cohen. The, the note I made about this film was that there was an awful lot of business in it. There were contracts and meetings and then giving his father the very weepy 50% interest. And it, there was like, oh, we never signed a contract. No, we never had it. It's like it was sort of about 10% um, contract and tort law, I thought, and about you know 80% music. It was very interesting that way. L- Laura can back me up on this, but there's a... Uh... Um, there's a musical that was on Broadway called George M, which was uh, mm-hmm. the life story with Joel of George Gray. with Joel Gray, which was the life story of George M. Cohen. And it's it's not a great musical, but at least it's it, it's better than this movie because it actually incorporates the songs of George M. Cohen into his life story with the struggles and the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows. Whereas this is just one thing I. Well, Mr. President, and then this happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you if you have if you have if you have a, 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 an audience with like uh, President Obama, and he asks, "So, boy, long long trip getting here. Is he gonna let you sit down and talk for two hours, give you your life story?" <laughs> As I was watching this movie, I thought this this is the movie that will be made where Lee Greenwood is called to President Ted Cruz's office <laughs> to talk about about his highs and lows after writing, "I'm proud to be an American." George George, I'm still I'm still giving you the medal, but you do know that there's a war on that I have to like kind of control here. I I, I will say, I mean, at least when they made George M, they had this to look back to and go, don't do it like that. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, here's here's where I should make a confession. Uh, aside from living in a doll museum, um, when I was five and six, I used to do an act at at like local things because it was the bicentennial year. Um, I used to do a whole bunch of George M. Cohen songs because, hey, look, cute little five-year-old who can sing. And so we had the George M. songbook, and we we saw this like twenty times, and I've I've seen it too many times. Now, did you sing, speak it, or did you actually sing it? Oh, I actually sang. Doodle Dandy, Yankee Doodle, Do or Die. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't quite sing. When, when even Rex Harrison is out singing you, that's a problem. It, Rex Harrison, exactly. He doesn't need to sing it. He's James Cagney. Well, wait a minute. There's there's a part right when he's uh, when he's composing uh, one of the songs where he actually sings it, and he sounds fine. But in theory, I mean, supposedly he sang like that because Cohan himself sang like that. That's right. That's right. And he he tap dances sort of like a a, a, a giraffe with gout because that's also how Cohan. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, yeah. He, I mean, stage. he was an amazing tap dancer. But I find this movie delightful every time I watch it. I love this movie just because I enjoy James Cagney in singer-dancer mode so much. Mm-hmm. And just him dancing up and down the steps. Oh, my God. I love that scene. Oh, there, there, there are some wonderful moments in this movie. Let me sum them up 
for the audience so that they can skip the, the terrible parts. Um, this shouldn't take long. Yeah. The, the part where he tap dances down the stairs at the end of the movie is quite good. Um, <laughs> the very, very last scene of the movie. And apparently improvised by Cagney in that one moment. So. I, don't, I don't know if I buy that at yeah. all. I did read that. It's like, so, so, the director, yeah. so the director set up this huge shot, and he's, he, his, on the storyboards is James Cagney simply walks down this very long flight of stairs and does nothing. I'm not sure if I buy that. You can't believe any <laughs> trivia about a 1940s movie. It's all made up by the publicity department. Nothing whatsoever happened in the rest of the film, so why should that be any different? It, it, it's suspicious because I feel like the metrics of the this the depth of those stairs were made for a tap dance, right? I, that's how it feels like to me. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a standard thing with you know with all the Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly films. You yeah. Know. The scene where his dad dies, uh, played by Walter Houston, is actually quite touching. Albeit the archetypal, um, I'm here, one last moment, uh, and then he, (laughs) I mean, it is like (laughs) movie death. There are no stakes in it, but those are two great actors doing great actory things. And um, I kind of like the scene where he woos his wife, where he's in disguise as an older man. I, I love that scene. I, I love that scene for several reasons. I love it because he's got the old guy makeup on and this girl comes in that he obviously likes and he's got the old guy makeup and he decides, I'm going to screw around here. I'm just going to be like an old man. And then he reveals, he's, he's like, no, I can, I can still dance. And he dances and she's like, oh, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. And then your your wrinkles are wiping off. What is going on here? But the funniest part is when the, when the, uh, the girl comes in and says, so we're going to go out on a date tonight. And he's like, yep, yep. And she's like, oh. Isn't she a bit young for you? I th- I th- I think that's a, a hilarious little little bit. I think that's a very funny bit. <laughs> that's that horrible mouth sound he makes several times in that scene that made me want to vomit slightly. Yeah, well, uh, the and the and the conversation with Eddie Foy is also a wonderful scene. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, I'll throw that in there. I agree. That's a very good scene. That is a classic comedy routine. Is I feel like I'm watching there. The fact that it's Eddie Foy Jr. in there being Eddie Foy. And and that's the extent of it, because as Andy <laughs> as Andy mentioned, there's this ridiculous framing device where the president of the United States, who you would think has better things to do, calls and that Mr. President is how I met your mother. Let, let me <laughs> let me explain this 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 framing sequence. The framing sequence in the Yankee Doodle Dandy is is as I said before, he gets called to, to Washington because the president wants to talk to him because uh, performing a, a a role of the sitting president, in... which is an actual an actual thing. That that happened. He he yep. played Roosevelt in a musical called "I'd Rather Be Right Than President" by uh, Kaufman and Hart. I think were the... Rogers and Hart. Oh, Rogers and Hart. So so they're brought down. He's brought down to Washington to meet him, and it's like oh, you know, and there's trepidation, right? There's trepidation. He goes in and and he says, sit down, Mister Cohen, and uh, and and they they uh, and. And then he proceeds to tell him his life story, which is strange. But the stranger part is, by the time we get to the end and we see him, and literally, if he was telling the story, he'd be like, "Well, and then I was in this musical, and I was, and I was playing you." It's like, yes, I know that part. Just skip to the end. <laughs> and, and, um, and and you cut to to Roosevelt, and his his face is just melted off, and he's a skeleton. Yeah, and, he's yeah. a skeleton, and this story is <laughs> like like an air like an airplane. <laughs> So the way the way it resolves is that at the beginning of the movie we're expected that there's tension that perhaps Cohan uh, 
doesn't uh, is going to be in trouble with the president of the United States. You've gone too far this time, George M. Cohen. <laughs> and at the end, he, he finishes his life story, and, and Roosevelt says, "Here's the C- Congressional Medal of Honor. You, we need more singers and songwriters like you to write more patriotic songs to win us this next war, like you won us the last one." All right, Cohen. Now get out of my office. Because honestly, when you win the Congressional Medal Medal of Honor, when you're awarded that, you want it done in a quiet ceremony on a rainy night. <laughs> on a rainy Late night. At night. Where it's just you and the president. Yeah, exactly. It, it, used to, it used to be like the Dean Martin roasts. They don't tell you about it. They want it to be a big surprise. And when Don Rickles calls you a hockey puck, you have the full impact. Yeah. It, so that, that that part is that part is ridiculous. And then, but but what I really love, and this this is that whole who knew what publicly and privately because this movie made made in forty two. They Roosevelt in the framing sequence never stands. And yet there's also a very amusing thing because, of course, Cohan does a whole big song and dance number that's strictly off the record, right? And that is he's singing and dancing. And it's actually knowing that Roosevelt had polio. It's like dancing Roosevelt. That's crazy, right? So obviously the people who made the movie were aware that Roosevelt didn't stand in public. But but in the musical for that audience at that time, Roosevelt sang and danced, and that was seemed perfectly natural. And knowing what we know about that now, I found that hilarious, actually, and also intriguing that they that they did it that way. And and there are some people to this day who think that the wheelchair is from all the tap dancing. Yes, <laughs> he was just plum tuckered out. What's really preposterous about that scene, the framing device, <laughs> is I'd rather be right than president came out in 1937. So. The premiere of the musical happens and he's called to the White House and he tells the president his life. And um, if you look at the clocks and five years passed in the the, interim, the the clocks in the final scene, it's 11 o'clock at night when he gets the Congressional Medal of Honor in that quiet civic ceremony. Do you do you realize that that the Pearl Harbor got bombed because I was sitting here listening to you (laughs) instead of keeping up with my email? Exactly my point. He goes out and there are people having a parade at 11 o'clock at night, which presumably are all the soldiers going off to World War II. They have been there for five years. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Five and years then... it's taken George M. Cohen to tell Roosevelt his ceremony. Sorry, George, while you were telling your story, I, I nipped out to get reelected in 1940 and then <laughs> delivered the speech before Congress that the, uh... this was a day in infamy, but you kept talking, so I didn't want to stop you. Incidentally, I, while I was out there, I contracted polio, so perhaps you won't want to do any more tap dancing playing me. And then it pulls back and he goes, and then we made a movie where I was talking about you. I love the, I love off the record, though. That's that that I was I actually had to capture that one and put it on my my iPod. That was that's I love that song. That is the most entertaining, I think, number in the in the whole thing. Some of the early stuff where they're they're showing like this is what old time entertainment was. And my notes here are this seems to be some kind of entertainment program because I found it <laughs> not actually entertaining in any way. And again, my modern sensibilities, perhaps. But I found the singing, dancing, the you know, this is part of a large larger set of uh, acts that are going on and i found it really kind of uh kind of dull and 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 the scene where he writes that song and dashes it off for the starlet so she'll be in his production which is actually one of his songs and 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 you're led to believe that he's sort of written it in about 30 seconds in order to impress her um honestly it sounds like a song that was written in about 30 seconds it doesn't impress me at all that 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 is the only sexual tension in the movie by the way where I thought there was going to be a thing where he's, oh, well, the the beautiful starlet is going to fall in love with him. And, and they'll be, no, 
No, he was apparently living with his not yet married wife, who was actually his second wife, not discussed in the film. But uh, that the scene, there's that point where you're like the bacon and ham thing. I'm like, are they are they shacked up? Where does who's what? Yeah. Well, that's 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 part of the fun of these kinds of movies. Like what, one one of the other things to watch out for is so it seems so it seems like this in, in, in the life of the songwriter. There is a he has got a mysterious problem that's causing him to not be productive, and you're trying to figure out is that what they're using as the euphemism for? He was actually a deeply closeted homosexual, and he knew that he could never reel that part. It's Mickey Rooney played a who, who was he? He played one of these uh, Richard Hart, I think maybe, and it and and they they basically oh, oh, words and music words and music. Thank you. And so you you and so you read this this man's actual biography and realize that so basically this really incredibly huge and troubling problem that he had especially for a man like a man of that age uh, that 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 period of that that period of, t- of history and you basically try to say well the thing well he's played by Mickey Rooney we'll just say he's troubled because he's short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you, I think I, I think there's I think there's something to it. I think that you do have to have an experience with these kind of movies in order to like them, because I do. I, I, Jason, I absolutely respect what you're saying because it doesn't hold together. There's a lot of real malarkey. There's there's a lot of numbers that you're not really going to like. But if you are used to the idea that I'm not going to expect a, it's, it's it's like it's like a Transformers movie. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit down for characters and stories. I'm just I'm just I'm just here to see a sequence of action sequences that I'm going to individually like. Like I I, I do want to use this exploit this to talk about or excuse me to mention this my favorite one deep in my heart. Uh, mid fifties. It's a, supposedly a biography of Sigmund Romberg, but it seemed as though they took every A list MGM musical star who had two weeks unbooked, and they said, "Guess what, Gene Kelly, you're going to do one number for this musical." Mm. Sid Charisse did probably one of the most fantastic musical numbers she has ever done on screen. To this day, it's like it's like the hairs on my back, my neck stick up when I see her dancing in this number, and so that that's what you get out of it. You say, "I'm going to simply, I'm going to allow, the, I'm going to allow myself to sit through the the quote dramatic parts of it and the quote comedic parts of it." If it means, what's the name of that movie again? Uh, it's called Deep in My Heart. Okay, well, watch that instead of Yankee Doodle Dandy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I. I... So it's <laughs> Phil. You said that you said that Yankee Doodle Dandy. There's not a lot of conflict. Actually, the one the one bit of conflict that I found here is that this is. It strikes me that the, what the argument um, this movie is making is against um, cultural elites, and that and that and 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 that George M. Cohan is a popular entertainer, and that he meets resistance by. Uh, Forces that are trying to maintain the entertainment status quo, those people who are inviting them to Broadway, but he gets out of line and so they don't invite him because he's not going to play by their rules. And there's the, the line and when he gets to Broadway, you know, the, the, the Eddie Foy conversation actually has an undertone of that of like, wow, this Coan guy thinks he's so great. And then the, the line that really hammers it home is he says, who am I? I'm just a regular guy who knows what regular guys like. And I felt like that was the message of this movie was essentially George M. Cohen is great because he's a regular American, not one of these fancy <laughs> big city entertainment industry types who who have like highfalutin airs and things like he just I'm the Broadway guy you want to have a beer with. My polling <laughs> numbers are great. 
I'm just an American who's who who is writes patriotic songs, and I don't get into all that fancy stuff. And I I felt like that was actually uh, that was throughout that that was sort of like the one thing that I gleaned from the meaning of this movie was that Cohen was popularist a uh, populist and a regular guy, and and not like some of that other kind of entertainment. You have made me totally rethink this movie. <laughs> I've just blown your mind. <laughs> if that's a point they're seriously trying to make, then they really really buried it. Well, I mean, it, it no, that was just the, that was the under. I think it's not even the point that they're trying to make as much as it, I, I think that's my perception from this of who Cohan either was or who they wanted to portray him as was an everyman who was a regular guy and he understood what regular guys liked. That was very much his thing. So yeah, it's very plausible that that was just intentional from the get-go there, there there's a scene which is my second favorite scene after the horrible framing device where he has his um horrible flop where he tries to do a dramatic um broadway number and he's he's give it um, to me straight dad you've you've always given it to me straight well son we can all have a horrible failure sometimes and so he he, re- <laughs> he so he's had this horrible failure failure and he's trying to cope with that and then the Lusitania gets sunk that, that very night and there's a voiceover of him talking to the president well I guess that's what we get for not writing flag waving songs <laughs> where it's oh if only we had written another version of it's a grand old flag because then the Lusitania would never have been sunk and Archduke Ferdinand would have- well you know every time we get a little comfortable and everything's okay and then somebody takes a shot at us so it's time to write more patriotic songs <laughs> trying to trying to bamboozle some more teenage boys into getting killed huzzah so songwriters write shitty songs to keep things for being keep things being okay let us maintain don't take your eye off the ball yep good good words to live by there um, the other things that I wanted to mention, I wanted to mention how this movie handles the passage of time. There's a what I think is actually kind of a clever montage where they're pa- panning across Times Square and you can see that the years are changing and, and time is marching on because you'll see like this is the play of, of 1937 and, and then it'll say voted, you know, won 1938 award or whatever. And, and mm-hmm. it goes on a little long, but I, I thought that especially for the time, it was a fairly sophisticated way of, of showing the passage of time through his career. Yeah, it's a nice change from the spinning newspaper thing. Yeah, yeah and, but however, early on, there is one of the most ham-handed timing things I've ever seen in a movie. That where where very early in the picture, they they pan past a building that just has a big sign on it that says 1878, <laughs> and, I, and I think, <laughs> what is that for? Are they just like freshness dating on the building? Just <laughs> point. They were very happy in 1878 to have erected that building. Back in the 19th century, people didn't know what year it was. Because in 1877, the building burned to the ground and then a guy reaches up and tears off the <laughs> yeah sure every every year they pull it that that was not so good but the later one was pretty good and then i wanted to mention um my other favorite scene from this movie phil is the scene where he's retired he's gone into retirement and he's in like his hammock or whatever and then and then some teenagers appear and they don't know who he is and they and they sing a, a popular song of the day which is nothing like over there or jeepers creepers yes it's jeepers creepers not over there or it's a grand old flag it's just this, these are these are beatniks these are hippies, uh, you know, but not yet, but they would be eventually. They're just teenagers. And he is outraged by these teenagers who don't appreciate him or know anything about him or the entertainment industry. And they also don't know how to decode the obscure variety, daily variety headline format. So that that's a hilariously weird scene. Although it seems kind of amazing that in 1942, people would have completely forgotten, even the kids would have completely forgotten about 
over there or uh, Grand Old Flag because I- I'm certainly aware of them. I don't, I don't know. They, I, are, uh, are are we going to talk? Are we going to talk about that that scene, that difficult scene? Are we going to mention that scene? Oh yeah, there's a blackface scene in here. <laughs> uh, although. Although it's brief, it's brief, and it I was I mean that 1878 sign it it's taking place in like 1880 or 1885. It is it is it is accurate for what the entertainment would have been with his family at that point. At the same time, yeah. yes, there's about 30 seconds where they're in blackface. I mentioned this on Twitter, and several people are like there's no blackface scene in that movie. And I'm like, <laughs> you, and, and then I say to them, so in Holiday Inn, do you remember the blackface scene? Seen from Holiday Inn, they say no. They've only been watching it on TV, right? <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing, though, is they're they're going for accuracy with all these musical numbers, which is why they're staged so boringly. No, no, it's it is also <laughs> at that time the the um. Someone pointed me to Wikipedia has a list called list of entertainers known to have performed in blackface, and it goes on and on and on sure. and on. So there are many, many films that we probably think we're familiar with that maybe were not produced in a, or shown even in their uh, unedited modern form. There's some here that I do not recall ever seeing blackface in, and I thought I've seen on AMC. So yes, it is a thing of that time. It is not as egregious as Holiday Inn, which devotes an terrible, terrible, horrible, long, <laughs> long scene. One of my favorite movies uh, is Duck Soup. Uh, yes, I watch it every year, and I honestly think we should probably watch it on this. We should, but there there are some jokes in um in uh, uh, duck soup that you know don't pass muster for us here in the twenty first century. <laughs> um, that that are kind of awkward. That um, you you just sort of cringe when you hear them. And um, I actually once watched duck soup in a theater in Oakland. Uh, oh my! Where where they mm. where they made these? The, their, it's now their... been burned to the ground. <laughs> yeah, no, the audience did the audience did not react well. Although no. beforehand they showed a, um, a a newsreel from the 1950s um, that featured the Shah of Iran, and the Shah of Iran actually oh, got geez. more cat calls than the uh, than the racially tinged humor of the 1930s Marx Brothers movie. So take from that what you will. Anyhow, uh, I, I guess this is a roundabout way of saying for me. Yeah, it's an unfortunate. Uh, uh, a relic of our past. It's not as uncomfortable as um, the Holiday Inn scene is, as you mentioned. (laughs) No, there are a few things in life that are more uncomfortable. (laughs) And yet I enjoy Holiday Inn more than I enjoy Yankee Doodle Doodle. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. There's a... I I, I wanted to see... uh, I I, I read up that uh, Donald O'Connor and uh, and Vera Ellen actually did a movie, a, a musical together, like just as they were supposed to before Donald O'Connor got sick for uh, for uh, White Christmas, and so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll watch this. Hey, of course, it's on YouTube. Great, I'll see it and we're enjoying it. And then twelve minutes in, it's revealed that the big the, the big musical thing is that wow, we're going to reveal, we're going to revive the old minstrel show oh tradition. God. Oh God. And then it's thirty minutes of them dancing in blackface and number oh after God. number after number. Wow. And this was shot in like nineteen fifty three, like nineteen like ah. Hard to believe that <laughs> fell into the public domain. Uh, that no one wanted to register that trademark. <laughs> is there? Is there like if if Ted if 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 there's colorization technology? Is there like decolorization mm. where we can just basically take the makeup off these people so we can watch this these numbers without cringing? This was incidentally the first film to be colorized by uh, Ted Turner and his really? ilk. Apparently, wow. Mm-hmm. That's right. Ted Turner had an elk. His he has bison uh, elk. I knew he was rich. Lots of bison. Yeah, he's got lots uh, of them. It's, it's a Actually, reindeer, I saw sure. I saw a you Ted Turner Rudolph elk. Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph Rudolph knows reindeer. I was in Montana <laughs> and I saw a Ted Turner elk. We were driving out near his property and there was an elk. So hmm. there you go. There you go. Glenning, 
Elking. Yeah, Elking. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> so there's a couple things I do like here. Um, I like the fact that Mary is only on stage because the dog act got drunk. <laughs> and, it, and it seems that Cohan himself probably got them drunk, so I appreciate that. But but the, she sings his song, which is perfectly fine, but that doesn't matter because you're not supposed to follow, to disobey the manager's directions. And so he says, I don't care if they're drunk. They're going on. Uh, I like uh, I like the bit where uh, George's dad spanks his butt and says, here's one place without any talent before he does it, which that's a good <laughs> little bit. <laughs> yes, Jason and I were exchanging bone mo about the notion of corporal punishment during those scenes while mm. while tweeting, yes. The desirability or non-desirability of corporal punishment. Well, I, and I have to say, he kind of earned it, right? He was a bratty little kid who <laughs> kind of ruined like the family's entire career trajectory because he was being a jerk. So I can't, I can't, you know, I'm not going to advocate hitting your kid, but, but if, you know, he kind of, he kind of deserved it anyway. I am. And he did. So he he confessed as much to the president. Yeah, that's true. The president absolved him of that. They skipped the scene where Roosevelt actually put him over his knee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I liked less the uh, creepy old fat German producer who says, "Mm, women, women, little rose petals. (laughs) (laughs) That is Carl the waiter from Casablanca. That is like the one part where there's a character with any actual character, so I have to mm-hmm. give him his props for that. This is the Hungarian, what's his name? S.K. David knows this. S.C. Sakal. Yeah, wonderful actor. And Cagney hated being on screen with him because he thought that he was being upstaged. Right, he was, yes. And uh, and lastly, last scene, I'd like to mention just a, another part of the times uh, where they walk out of the death bedroom as George is saying goodbye to his father and... Uh, the guy, I'm not sure who he is, says, cigarette, Doc? And the Doc says, why, sure. And lights up. It's soothing from the lungs. Yeah. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Cigarettes help you grieve. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this was a movie that I, I actually was entertained sort of watching it, but I, I don't think I would recommend it, other than the fact to say uh, James Cagney did a great job. He did it. It was it was there for all the cheesiness that's in this, um, and I don't think the the George M. Cohan songbook is particularly strong. Um, I thought Cagney was great. <laughs> it's de- it's it, it's definitely of a time. It is palpably of a time. In fact, the point where I feel bad really um, ripping on it too much because it definitely feels like it is a competently produced. Uh, product of its era and does what it intends to do. I think that we are in a much more sophisticated uh, and and questioning and cynical era where it is difficult to take some of it seriously. But even through all of that time and all of those cultural changes, um, you if you were an alien drop down with no knowledge of history at all and you watch this, you'd be like, who's this actor? You know, because Cagney is that good. He is that good in this. I enjoy this movie a lot, but really just for Cagney. Luckily, yeah. he's in the center of the screen like 90% of the time. <laughs> so if they took out all the musical numbers and just left Cagney acting parts, that would be a better film by far. I, th- I agree it would be better because his talk singing drives me nuts. He sounds like he sounds like Bob Dylan before the cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. dandy. That doesn't work for me. I have nothing bad to say about this movie. I enjoy it. Almost completely. Huh. All right. Oh, once again, you're wrong. Because I was <laughs> bored yeah. completely out of my mind by this movie. Although I did I did appreciate Cagney's acting uh, and his dancing ability and his, well, not so much the singing. 
Although when he does sing, he sounds okay, so I really wish they had uh, chosen to, to whitewash that part of Cohan's life in addition to the rest of it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, it's I, it, I, like Jason, I feel bad bashing the film because I understand it is of its time, but at the same time, it just doesn't work anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I much prefer Fred and Ginger films if, if I'm going to go for a black and white musical. But, you know, I, I have a soft spot for it. But the thing that it always reminds me of, and I, I've always wondered if this was an intentional thing they did, because I, I think it was also a Warner Brothers film. Um, the, there's that Looney Tune cartoon where Bugs is telling his life story, his history in, in showbiz. And the whole first part of it is, you know, well, he started as a chorus boy. And they just keep yes. doing the same number every show. Oh, it's like, we girl are the with boys the golden vest. We, we hope you like our show. show. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, and then <laughs> I was in to go. this show. We're the boys. And over and over and over again. And he finally comes back in a musical. And at the end of the cartoon, and it's, we're the boys in the chorus. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and I've always thought that, because it's, it's the same framing device. It's not the president. But it's, it's telling the life story. It's the, the same vaudeville stuff throughout. And I've always wondered if that was intentional. It was definitely well, – I don't know if it was intentionally based on that movie, but I, I, I do think this is a trope again. I mean I, I, loved, I, I, loved T, I love TCM. I love – I actually do like these sort of jukebox movies. Uh, and that real it, – it's the, the – give, give, give them the slightest framing device they need because no one cares about that. But not, not to – that, but that shouldn't, that shouldn't let this movie off the hook because I mean, you, you mentioned you know, RKO, uh, RKO, Black and White, uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movies. Those are also musicals, but they have a plot that goes from start to finish uh, where you have characters that you like to follow and lots of comedy going on. So they don't – you don't have to just get to the dance number. I just watched one of those a couple hours ago. It was the story of Vernon and Irene Castle. Oh, and that's was, a fantastic film. It is, but it was weird because it has multiple dance numbers that are supposed to be bad. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. weird watching Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dance bad on purpose. <laughs> no, that was the film I thought of. I, I tweeted this because I'm watching the movie and I thought, that's the film that this reminds me of, except that film is incredibly good at a story arc. There's conflict and there's, uh, you know, I won't spoil the ending. Well, I, I actually disagree. The story arc in that movie is all messed up. Because, is it? Yeah. I, the pacing is weird. They spend 70% of the movie struggling and then hit instant <laughs> wild success for 20 minutes. Oh, but it was, a, it was a huge propaganda film. It was actually made for propaganda purposes. It was the last one they made for RKO. Mm. I think so, yeah. And then, of course, there's the ending, which also... I agree we will not spoil it, but it does not really fit in with the story arc. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, final Yankee Doodle Dandy thoughts? before I, we I have a few. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Lay it on us, Phil. Hello, young people. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Phil. You've heard a lot. To, you've heard us talking tonight about Yankee Doodle Dandy as if it's a movie that you should watch. <laughs> well, I sure have. <laughs> Gosh, Phil, I did hear that. Really, the idea behind Old Movie Club was that it's here are some movies that hold up over time and that, uh, that, that, that you can go back and look at and go, boy, this is an entertaining movie, even though it's 40, 50, 60 years old. This is not Yankee Doodle Dandy. And if you are looking um, to see a great performance by James Cagney, who is a fine actor, go see White Heat. Go see The Public Enemy. If you want to see him doing a role that he's not really associated with it, with 
go see one, two, three, which is not a great movie, but it's a fun Billy Wilder com- comedy, and he he's good in it. Go see Mister Roberts, where he he plays the villain character quite delightfully. There are lots of movies that you can see that aren't Yankee Doodle Dandy, where you can appreciate James Cagney as an actor. There are lots of movies that you can see that will make you appreciate America. Basically, every movie made in America that isn't Yankee Doodle Dandy. (laughs) Although I will say you should probably watch 30 to 40 seconds of this just so you can go, oh, wow, Cagney can dance. Go on to YouTube. If you want to see Cagney dance, you should watch Footlight Parade, which is a much better movie or or the seven little foys and has some crazy crazy yeah. busby see those two or it. go on youtube and do a search for him doing uh, i'm a yankee doodle dandy or give my regards to broadway you'll have seen the good parts of the movie so what i will recommend is if you if you would like to if you would like to see something inspiring and patriotic on the 4th of july turn off your television walk outside and watch the fireworks because that will be a better show. You're, you're talking about your drunken dad arguing with your uncle about the barbecue fire, right? Then Yankee Doodle Dandy. Anyway, Andy. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll since since we're talking to the kids today. Oh uh, yes, we I will, are. I will. I, I will say that you know this is you. I think that you will enjoy this because this is much like how you remember, remember kids, like how you you go on Reddit. And you find out you you find yourself clicking on video links that are really really good, and then in between there's like maybe five or ten minutes of clicking on like picture links and 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 gifs, the animated gifs that aren't very good at all. This is exactly like that. GIFs. You will find you will you will you will GIFs. find a a really nice four or five sets sets of clips on this that you will really really like with a lot of things about cats with fruit on their head that you have seen a million times before and you don't really understand and don't try to make sense of it as a sequence of entertainment but enjoy the bits that are there to be enjoyed because they are there kids and they are there to be very very much enjoyed also if the president of the united states summons you to the white house in a rainstorm in the middle of the night and says that it's going to be to give you a medal um don't go Oh, that, that, that's another good point. And, and also, remember that, like, you're not supposed to know that, like, he has polio and can't get up, but definitely, like, take that opportunity to, like, rifle through, like, all the other drawers in the Oval Office, because what's he going to do? He's behind the desk. Yeah. And there's no, there's, no, there's no secret service. They're going to leave you all alone to dance down those stairs. You're dressed up as Roosevelt. You could kill him and take, him o- take over the, the presidency. I'm sorry. This was not three days. This was not three days of the Cagney, guys. Yeah. Wouldn't you think he'd want to be played by Cagney? Like... You're yeah. trapped in a wheelchair. Here's somebody who wants to portray you as somebody who runs back and forth across the stage all the time. I think he'd like to be taller, though. It's it's the movie Dave, just 40 years earlier. Okay, anything more about... Uh... Sigourney Weaver is many degrees hotter than Eleanor Roosevelt, I should say. All right. What? Yes. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> You've been reading my fan fiction again. <laughs> I continue to like this movie. All right. Uh, so w- here, here's what here's what's happening. We uh, have learned some things about old movie club. We've resolved to talk <laughs> about the about the uh, the Marx Brothers in a future edition. So there's hope for the future, kids. <laughs> but it's going to be love happy and the big story. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> what we're not going to we're not going to do a night in Casablanca. Oh God, no. <laughs> That's just mean. Oh, do Casablanca and then a night in Casablanca. You know, if we do a day at the races, we can get our Marx Brothers blackface number as well. well that's true. There, there is that. That's true. That, those are those movies where I shout at the screen, you are Jewish in the, <laughs> in the early 20, 20th century. Do you not understand what you're doing here? They didn't not. No. 
Uh, apparently not. They're not Jewish. One of them's Italian. He's not Italian. It's Chico. It's Chico. Anyway, this is this is all what you're going to get in our exciting Marx Brothers episode when that happens. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Old Movie Club. I'm so glad we <laughs> had this topical idea and that Twitter told us to do this. Right, Phil? Yeah, it's great. Thanks, people. You really, you really <laughs> did us a solid there, people who on Twitter. I enjoyed this. I'm sorry if you had a bad time. I, if I, when I had a part in that, I'm sorry, but I enjoyed this. I thought this was a very good podcast. Yeah, we have reason to be proud of this. I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed watching film. these movies. I'd not seen either of these movies before, and so it old movie club served its fundamental purpose was to make me watch things that I'd never seen before. <laughs> Job done. Once again, like Reddit videos tabs. Some things that you wish you could unsee. No, no I was. I am educated. I was educated by this. Excellent, excellent. Let, let let's not let's not put this episode into a shame hole and then cover it up, because I think that we can be very very pleased with ourselves. <laughs> Is that somewhere near the butter zone, just by chance? We need to keep that shame hole open because I'm sure we'll need it. Let's see, is the is the movie shamehole.com available? Because if not, that's a good idea for a podcast. This episode is not canon. This is not part of the the uh, the old movie club uh, uh, story arc. This is a Crisis on Infinite Old Movie Clubs. Yeah. I'd like to I'd like to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor, shamehole.com. The shame hole. Shame hole. You know, you really should have read that ad at the top so they couldn't back out after they heard the live screen. <laughs> the shame hole sounds oh. like a pretty good podcast name. Too many flies. Too many flies. We've learned. We've grown. We've seen two movies, and we can move on with our lives now. And I'd like to thank my participants, fellow participants in the old movie club of uh, of tonight, of our, our special 4th of July episode. Steve Lutz, thanks for being here and watching the movies. Oh, thank you, Jason. And if I said anything accidental to make you mad, I want you to know I'm darn glad I did. All right. Excellent work. David Lohr, thank you for being here. Thank you. And I will see you all in New Brunswick for the drinking and the whoring. All right. Glenn Fleischman, thank you for coming back on as as you have been like on two episodes in a row. Good job. High five. Thank you for tolerating me, everyone. Uh, you don't know me. <laughs> Monty Ashley, thank you for being here. Everybody but me is wrong. All right. <laughs> That's a perfectly valid opinion to hold, I suppose. Andy and Notco, a pleasure as always. Please, Mr. Snell, must you start talking? How's a man to sleep? <laughs> oh, nice. And of course, the, the the guy who usually is responsible for these, but not really this one, Phil Michaels. Thank you. My mother thanks you. My father thanks you. And screw you. <laughs> and the hell with my sister, because she died like 15 years ago, and we didn't even put it in the movie. No. Happened off camera. And I, and as for me, your host, I abstain courteously. Good call. Uh, and thank you for listening to The Incomparable. What the hell goes on over there at the podcasting studio? We'll see you next time. <laughs>